Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 1. 1 Kings chapter 1. I want to springboard off of what we talked about last week. And I'm going to do a little bit of review, and then we're going to jump into some other things. Now, uh, last week we were talking out of 1 Kings, and it's an amazing story of the battle for a throne. And it's very relevant in this moment of human history, in our nation's history. Uh, we have uh, an election that is still being contended, contested. Uh, we, there are numerous lawsuits that are still coming before the courts. Uh, there's now talk of a, uh, you know, they're, they're going to contest it at the congressional level. Uh, there has been numerous reports of fraud, video footage, and all of this stuff. And it's really a, uh, a this passage is such an interesting passage when you lay it over to contemporary situations. And uh, last week we were looking at this passage, and it really is the story of a contested inauguration, or a battle for a throne, or even a stolen inauguration. Uh, we see in this passage, uh, it starts out with David being old in, at the end of his days. Uh, and let's read here. It's, it's really an interesting thing that the Bible includes this little thing, but there's a reason. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1, now David, or King David, was old and advanced in years. And although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. And so they had to literally assign a young woman that would just keep him warm at night. It says he had no relations with her, but she was kind of included as one of the, the harem just to keep him warm and in his elderly years. You think, what a strange thing to include. But it's because it's highlighting the season of David's life. Because there, it's, this was the end of an era and the launching of a new era. Now, if you were not here last week, bear with me. I'm going to dive into, I want to reach back into last week and touch on something that I talked about. Because I think it's very important that we understand where we're at in God's timeline. Uh, it was probably three months ago now, we were, we were praying, uh, the, Lord, I, I, the Lord took me into an encounter, if you were, you're interested in that, go back to last week's podcast, you can connect with that, but the following day, as I was praying, I was walking down this aisle, and I was praying out this phrase, Lord, you change the times and the seasons, and as soon as that came out of my mouth, Joyce went, woo, Joyce, where are you at? She's, she's up with the kids. She, oh, it was a kind of a prophetic, oh. And uh, I looked at her and she said, Pastor, look at the verse the Lord just had me turn to. She lifts up her Bible. I was just walking right by her. She was sitting over here. And it was Daniel chapter two. I want to say it's verse 21. And it says, he changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and appoints kings. Now, I knew that was not a coincidence. I know it. When I see one, you know, it, uh, I, I knew the Lord, the Lord was trying to highlight something. And so I began to really study that principle out because I knew the Lord was wanting to speak something to us. And what the Lord began to minister to me as I began to study that passage was how redemptive history is divided among the reigns of men. That God 
when it says that he appoints kings and he removes kings and he changes the times and the seasons, those times and seasons can be divided among the reigns of men. And we see that with First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. That is redemptive history divided among the reigns of men because there is a purpose to promotion. When God appoints a man or a woman into a position, there's a divine purpose to that and the season, the season they're in is the season of that purpose. And that season is, is consummated or, or, or fulfilled, then that new season transitions and that person is, then moves on from that position. We see this in, I want to say it's Second Chronicles, or not Second Chronicles. It's, it's a passage, look it up. You got concordances, you got Google, look it on your phone. But it says this, David perceived that God had made him king. Isn't that interesting? It's like, what do you mean you perceived? Wasn't it pretty obvious when they put the crown on your head? But it goes on to say, he perceived that God had made him king for the purpose of his people, Israel. See, it dawned upon David that his promotion was not because God liked him, but there was a purpose behind his promotion. If you don't understand the purpose behind your promotion, you will not be able to fulfill the purpose of your promotion. There's too many people just going through life on accident. They're kind of stumbling through life and bumping into things rather than being intentional about saying, God, I want to understand the season I'm in. It's akin to that, that phrase and when it talks about uh, the sons of Isaacar who understood the times and therefore knew what they should do. If you don't understand the time, if you don't understand your purpose, then you don't know what you should do. And there's a lot of people that occupy positions of influence but are never able to leverage them for the kingdom because they're living in a state of ignorance about what God is doing in their life. That's not a slam on them. It's just a fact. And we need to lean in and say, God, what are you doing in this season of my life? So we talked last week about how that verse in Daniel chapter 2, it says he changes the times and the seasons. Those two words are very distinct in their meaning. The word times is the Hebrew word oiden. And it, 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 it's distinguished by two primary things. Number one, it's, an, uh, an, uh, it's not a, a specific period of time. It's not like you can look at an oiden and say, oh, that begins on this date and ends on this date. And the reason is because the second prominent idea behind this word is that it's connected to a specific purpose. So in actuality, it's a, it's a period pregnant with purpose. And it's consummated when the purpose of that period is fulfilled. And therefore, a time can be stretched well beyond God's intention, or it can be compressed by human hunger and human obedience. So you can take the times of God's assignment in your life and lengthen them or compress them. I think I said last week, that's why you can see Christian maturity is not a matter of chronology. It's not a matter of how long you've been saved. There are a lot of people who have walked with Jesus for many years and are very immature. And there's other people who have a few years under their belt, but they've got a maturity because it's not a matter of time 
in Christ. It's a time, it's a matter of obedience in Christ and cooperating with the work of the Spirit so we can grow up. So it's crucial that we be like the sons of Isaacar and uh, who understood the times and therefore knew what they should do. It is a tragedy to be brought to the kingdom for such a time as this and not understand it. To not understand the pregnant purpose you live in. And therefore you're just kind of doing life and you, you don't even realize the assignment on your life. And here's the, here's the really scary thing. At the end of the age, when we stand as individuals before our king, we will give an account for the purpose he put on our life. It's not, you're not going to give an account for so much for your desires as for your mandate. And if you really surrender to God, those two things will merge, by the way. But if we, if we don't understand the times and our assignment and the purpose of God for our life, then we'll give an answer to God for an unfulfilled purpose. God has brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this. We are living in a period pregnant with God's purpose. Do you know what that is for your life? Are you living out your assignment? If you don't, you need to press in and say, God, what am I to be about in this season? There are seasons in our life. There are seasons when you have little kids. You have, there are seasons when you have teenage kids. There are seasons when you're carrying a kid. There are seasons when the kids just visit. I was telling someone this morning, our previous pastor, all our kids were home for Christmas, all six of them. I, our previous pastor used to have this saying. He said, the only thing greater at the holidays than seeing your kids pull into the driveway is seeing their taillights when they leave. <laughs> Hallelujah. I love my kids, but I'm glad a good share of them live outside my home. <laughs> Hallelujah. I tell people they're my retirement plan. I figure if I can raise six kin, kids on one man's pay, six adults can take care of one old man and his wife. Amen. <laughs> Woo! Glory. Hallelujah. That's our financial strategy class. That was free this morning. So we need to understand the purpose of God for the season. There's coming a season, the purpose will be to be supported by my children. Hallelujah. But understand the purpose of God. So you have the times, and then we have this word seasons. And in the Hebrew, that word is zaman. It's, it's totally different than oiden, uh, times and seasons. Seasons has to do more with the, 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 uh, the, the initiation date. And it's, it has to do with eras. It's, it's a bigger, grander term. It's, uh, seasons are made up of multiple times, but they're also dependent upon times in this sense that new seasons are triggered by the fulfillment of the times. That's why in the New Testament we see phrases like this. Uh, Jesus, born of a woman. In the fullness of time he was born of a woman, born under the law. The fullness of time. There had to be the, the fruition of the last season in order to launch the next season. And Jesus was the launching of that next grand era. We also see another future season called the return of Christ. What does it say? This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all ethnos, 
all nations, and then the end shall come. In other words, Jesus' second coming is not the date on a calendar. It's the fulfillment of the purpose of this season. And that purpose is preaching the gospel to every nation, every people group. And we can lengthen that or we can compress that based upon our obedience and our hunger. So the timeline of heaven is driven by the obedience of man. And so times drive seasons. And you need to know the signs of the times. What time are you in? What is the assignment? What is the purpose for this chapter of your life? And there are different purposes for different chapters. And, and, and I'm, I joke around about raising kids and all that, uh, but you got to laugh about it, you know, if you go through it. But uh, this, I joke around about it, but there are different seasons in our lives. There's a reason we call it empty nesters, and that's a whole different skill set. And there's, there's different things we learn, and you better not be treating your kids the same way you did when they were toddlers when you're an empty nester, or you're going to go broke, and you're not going to help your kids launch into their next season. And so we need to understand the times. But then there's these grand seasons in redemptive history. Uh, I prophesy this morning that we will be going into a, at a deeper level into this whole subject because it so intrigues me. And I think the Lord has more for us in this. But when it says of David that he served his generation and then was laid to rest with his forefathers. He served his generation. He fulfilled the purpose of his anointing, and then he was laid to rest. There's two ways to sabotage the timeline of God, and the enemy tries to use both of them. If he can't use one, he'll use the other. He will try to get someone to prematurely step away from their assignment. He'll do that by discouragement. He'll do that by sabotaging them through sin. He'll do that by sickness. If he can get someone to leave their post prematurely, he can seize the gears of God's purpose. And if, if you, I touched on this last week, so you can go back and, and uh, take a deeper dive. And, and if you don't understand where I'm coming from, grab me. Okay, I'll, I'll explain where I'm coming from this because we don't have time to get into it this morning. But the fact is the enemy, in Daniel chapter seven, it says the enemy tries to manipulate the times and the seasons. God sets the times and the seasons. The enemy tries to manipulate it. How? Well, according to Daniel chapter two, he sets the times and seasons, but how? By removing kings and assigning kings. And that is, that's a big grand scale. We're talking about kingdoms and thrones, and that was the way the world was ruled at that time. In our modern contemporary way of thinking, we're talking about the ruling of nations, but even on smaller micro scales, there are seasons in churches. When our previous pastor resigned, I remember, I remember man, this was 19 years ago now, he got up and he said, he was from Arkansas. He said, you got to know when to hold them and you got to know when to fold them. He actually quoted Kenny Rogers. And then he said, and as of such and such a date, I'm done here at this church. He knew his time was up. Because the other way to sabotage the times and seasons is to stay too long. To hold on to a previous season because of security. And we can actually hinder the purposes of God. We have got to understand our responsibility, our part 
in the purposes of God. Don't buy into this lie. We've been hitting this thing strong. We, hit it, we started hitting this thing at the first of last year. And now looking back on last year, I can see why. But we need to understand God's will is not always done and not everything that happens is God's will. Those are two sides to the same coin. God's will is not always done. And not everything that happens is God's will. God is looking for human cooperation. He's invited us into this process. And we've got to know our assignment and fulfill our role. And once, when David was done, he was laid to rest with his forefathers and it moved into a new era, the, the, the era of the Solomon throne. In this passage, we have King David Old, he, he's, he's advanced in years and we read this in verse 5 now Adonijah the king of Haggith exalted himself saying I will be king and he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him his father had never at any time displeased him by asking why have you done thus and so he was also a very handsome man and he was born next after Absalom Absalom was another handsome son David had some good looking boys and he did not correct his boys correction in David's life was a key David was very, very good at receiving correction. It was one of the defining characteristics of David's life. His ability to receive correction to keep him on track. But he was very poor at giving it to his sons. And it cost him dearly. It was devastating in the life of David. Two of his sons lost their life over this very thing. Now... Adonijah tried to appoint himself the king. He tried to seize the throne, and it wasn't without precedence. Adonijah was the eldest living son of King David. Uh, and so we read under, he conferred with Joab, the son of Zariah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and they followed Adonijah and helped him. But there were those who didn't go with Adonijah. Zadok the priest and Benaniah the son of Jehoiada and Nathan the prophet and Shimei and Ray and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fattened calf by the serpent stone which is beside in Rogel and he invited all his brothers and the king's son and all the royal officials of Judah but he did not invite Nathan the prophet or Benaniah or the mighty men of Sol or Solomon his brother. And so we have this situation where Adonijah is going to appoint himself the king. He wants to inaugurate a new era because there's an opening. And I'm telling you, whenever there are new seasons in redemptive history, there is a contention for the purpose of that next season. That is true on the micro scale in your own personal life. When you are launching into next the next season of your life. And the seasons are a bigger scale, bigger purpose, bigger transition than the times in your life, okay? But whenever you are launching into a new season, there is tremendous contention in spiritual warfare. And we see this again and again throughout redemptive history and scripture where there's a battle for the throne, for the rulership. And I would contend, I would, I would, I would contend that we are in a transition into a new season across the globe. Seasons, the transition into seasons are, take a lot longer than we tend to think. 
But there are things that are happening in the globe, and it is going to change the way the church looks. Now, I hear a lot of people saying, well, the church is going to look different as if it's all going to be digitized. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about the power and the intimacy and the authority and the flexibility and the mobility of the church on the horizon is going to drastically change because God is coming near to his church. And as he comes near and breathes on us, there are things that are going to radically shift. And some of this disruption is towards that end. And the ones that it's going to be hardest upon are people like me. Yeah. You enjoyed that way too much, whoever said that. Yeah. Seriously, we need, we need to be praying. It was Robert. He's another pastor. So, yeah, amen. So we need, we need to be praying for leaders right now because there is a transition coming. We are, here's what I sense, Okay. I sense we are moving into the church era. The message of this last season was the love of the Father and the kingdom. There was a prophet out at Bethel in Reading a number of years ago. He was one of the first emerging voices out of that house. Uh, matter of fact, if you listen to Bill Johnson in the early days, he would say, one of our guys went to a restaurant and, uh, man, people, uh, there were all kinds of people got healed and the whole place was laid out under the spirit. One of our guys, one of our guys, one of our guys, it was usually that one guy. He was saying the truth. It was one of their guys, one guy. He was tremendously used by the Lord during that season. It was a very accurate prophetic voice. I'm not going to say his name because he's gotten off track in recent days. But he was a very accurate prophetic voice. During that time, he was working as a janitor out at Bethel. And he would have these encounters with the Lord. And one time, the Lord gave him a vision of... Well, one time, he, the, the Lord told him that there were, the Chinese government was making such and such decisions. It was like three or four decisions. He went and told Bill Johnson. He said, the Lord told me last night China made these decisions. Bill thought, well, you know... I don't, know. I don't know the janitor, but, you know, I, okay, whatever. And that night on CNN, they began to talk about this new uh, policy out of China, these four points. So it was kind of on the radar of Bill. Well, this young man came to Bill and said, I saw a vision of this giant hand pounding uh, this document onto a door. And he said, the Lord told him it was Martin Luther's hand. And he said, Martin Luther was a, a reformer. And the message, he, he lived in a reformation generation. And the, the message he carried was, the, was uh, justification by faith. He said, your generation is also a reformation generation. And the message you will carry is the kingdom of God. And then he told me, he said, this, uh, this will be a sign to you. There's, there's going to be a comet that's coming by planet Earth that astronomers do not yet know about. They'll announce soon. And it's a sign in the heavens above that no man can manipulate that I'm in this thing, that this is a message from me. So the janitor went to Bill and said, hey, this is what I heard. Bill said, okay. A couple days later, on the news, they announced, hey, we just discovered a new comet. So Bill calls that young man into their, their staff meeting and said, hey, share this with us again. Some of their staff did a, a research on this comet and found the last time it flew by planet Earth was in the day of Martin Luther. Joel said it and Peter reiterated it that in the end times there'll be blood, fire, and billows of smoke. 
Signs in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Why? Because there are times when there are things so crucial to God's redemptive purposes that he will give signs in the heavens that no man can manipulate to validate what he's saying. This message of the kingdom has just begun to revolutionize the church. Up until the emphases of the kingdom, by and large in the church of Jesus Christ, myself included, we looked at the church and the kingdom as synonymous. There are two specific words in the Greek. Church is ecclesia, kingdom is basilia. Two distinct words, but they were reduced to be synonymous. I was literally taught in Bible school that they were synonymous, but that is untrue. My spiritual father, Jack Taylor, says that all the church, all the church is in the kingdom, but not all the kingdom is in the church. The church is merely a subsidiary of the kingdom. The kingdom is God's rule and reign. It's his dominion. He is exercising his authority, his rule. The, the church is the agent on the earth to release that authority and do kingdom business. But they're not synonymous. And when you make them synonymous, at first, initially, you make the king, the church rather, more than it was intended to be. But in the end, you make it so much less because you've unplugged it from its source. You've reduced the kingdom to an earthly organization. So we need to understand there's a big difference between the kingdom and the church. The church is the gathering of the saints for kingdom purposes. The kingdom is his rule. The kingdom applies to all of life. God has kingdom purposes for every facet of life. The church is merely the agent that carries out those purposes. But theology and king, kingdom theology has much more to do than, than merely just church matters. See, there has been a concerted effort by the enemy to reduce our scope of authority and interest and, and uh, to just spiritual matters. For me to even mention political matters from a pulpit has for many years been told, that's anathema, you should never say those things. That is, you're getting into things that, that have nothing to do with the church. We are about saving souls. And what it, that is a truncated gospel carved down to a mere stump of what God intended. God called us to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And the kingdom has application to every facet of life. And our job as the ecclesia, which in the Greek mindset, the Greek Roman mindset, that Jesus pulled that out of and utilized that to communicate the purpose of the church, it was a legislative body meant to do business for the overall empire. And that's who we are. And so we are called to be a legislative, prophetic, intercessory people that know the signs of the times, are picking up on what God is saying, and then pressing his claims on planet earth so that his will is done, so that those purposes are fulfilled. The church is not just so that we can be freed from sin. I mean, that's, that's a great benefit. That's the beginning because bound people can't do kingdom business. But that is not the end. 
We're to be set free so we can do kingdom business. So we can get out there and be involved in every facet of life. Regime change in scripture was inaugurated by prophets. You see it again and again. The prophets would uncork the horn of oil and pour it out on the head of the new king. Why? Because it's the prophets who understood the signs of the time and therefore knew what they should do. Prophets were those who were in time with the times and seasons. They were in tune with what God was saying. And we see it in this passage. And so what Adonijah did is he, he grabbed a priest, he grabbed a general, but what he didn't have was a prophet. And so Nathan shows up on the scene because he sees that the purposes of God are about to be thwarted. So Nathan steps up and he grabs Bathsheba. Now I touched on this last week, but to me this is so fascinating. I mean, there is some rich stuff here. What time is it? We got time. It, it, uh, okay, the heading over this in the ESV is Bathsheba. Uh, let me see. It says, Nathan and Bathsheba before David. What a fascinating thing. Because the last time these three names showed up together, David was rebuking, or Nathan, the prophet, was rebuking David for his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, and he was prophesying the death of their child. And had they not passed the test of correction, he would not have been there to rescue him in, in their next hour of need. Years later, the first time he's there rebuking them over their illicit relationship, prophesying the death of their first child, the next time their three names show up, he is intervening to save their legacy through their other child. He's stepping in to rescue. And had David and Bathsheba become offended at Nathan, they would have forfeited the very guy who was going to be key to their future. The person who rebukes you today just may be the gatekeeper of your future some further time. And you better be able to receive correction because you can cut yourself off from your legacy. And you say, well, that, uh, no, I, I received, but I just don't like the way they did it. And you cut them off and you may have received their correction in the moment, but cut them off relationally. Well, it may not be about the present correction. It may be something you're going to need them for in the future. We need to learn to understand how to navigate conflict in the body of Christ. We're in a church. Things get awkward. I'll just go to another church. You didn't have that luxury in the New Testament. There was one church per town. You're just part of the body of Christ. And I think we are at a great disadvantage in building character and breaking into our destiny because of that. Now that's not to say, I, I know God has led me at times to a different church, but you better leave right. And if you do it casually, there's something wrong. Because it is not a casual thing to have a relationship with another congregation and leadership. And so it's such a fascinating thing. David was, you know, David could have had Nathan killed. Nathan was a gutsy dude, man. 
You say, well, of course, he was a prophet. Hey, yeah, you can say that all you want. Put yourself in his shoes. It'd be like, well, you know, I think that might have been the pizza I ate. I'm not bringing that word. (laughs) David could have easily just had him taken out. But he didn't. He humbled himself. But not only David, you think about Nathan. As a leader, as a prophetic leader, someone who failed him so painfully. Can you imagine what that felt like? This guy was his leader. And he was guilty of adultery and murder. I'm going to talk about disillusioning. I don't know about you, but I'd have a hard time sitting under his teaching ministry after that. But Nathan, you see when he comes into David's bedchamber, because by this time David's not even ruling from a throne, he's ruling from a bed. He's on his way out. And Nathan comes in and bows to the ground before David. He still retained that honor for David's position and kept that relationship, and he didn't give up on a fallen individual. Man, I've been soaking in this passage, and it convicts me. How many times have we washed our hand of somebody because of their moral failure and it inadvertently forfeited God's purposes down the road because what they really needed was a Nathan that would rebuke strongly but stay in relationship tenaciously until they would get to the point where they can pass the baton. This thing of correction is crucial, which really does bring me back to where I was trying to get to earlier. When I was talking about this kingdom message, I believe God is beginning to add to us an understanding of what the church is really intended to be. And we are way on the front end of this thing. We have just scratched the surface. And I'm not talking we as Heartland. I'm talking we as the body of Christ walking the earth today. God is going to redefine the church for the church. And it's necessary for what he wants to accomplish. And a lot of it is going to be getting away from this. And we'll still do this because we need to be trained. But this is not what the church is about. This is is training. What we do with it out there is doing church. Okay? I know, it's a little insecure for me, man. He's like, whoa. Seriously, we need to be praying for leaders across the body of Christ that we understand the times and therefore know what we should do. And so we see in this scenario, again, what happened was the prophet knew what the Lord was saying. The prophet knew what the king had already said. And so the prophet went to Bathsheba. Nathan goes to Bathsheba and said, hey, you know what's going on? Didn't the king say to you that your son Solomon would be the next king? Well, Adonijah is already, he was in the middle middle of his inauguration dinner. He was lifting the glass. They were already saying, long live King Adonijah. They changed it on Wikipedia, what president-elect slash... uh, You know, king-elect meant in Adonijah's day, just like they're doing today. They were lifting the glass to his victory. 
And the prophet inserted himself, came to the praying bride and said, this is what you're to do. You get in the presence and you appeal to his past promises and remind him of what he said before. And what we see is this partnership between the prophetic and intercession to bring about the regime change that God so greatly desired. And I would propose to you, and I know I said this last week, but I'm telling you, it is not over in our nation. There's an application to our nation. There's application. There's a number of applications. But I have a responsibility as a man of God that is not over in our nation. And we need to be praying because the prophets already spoke. God's will is not always done. It takes a Bathsheba to come alongside the Nathan. It takes the intercessor to come alongside the prophet. And it's so intriguing to me that it was Bathsheba. I was telling the prayer group this week, uh, we're, we're in this season of intercession. We're crying out to God. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday morning. and uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. I know, shameless plug. And Wednesday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Please come out. We're crying out for this nation. And we're going to keep on crying out. We're, we're, we're contending for our nation. I know when that seed was planted, that seed of fresh intercession was planted in this house. It was a number of months ago when I was sharing the word that Jeff Collins got about the church being represented by the two prostitutes before Solomon fighting over the baby because the two prostitutes had fallen asleep and one of them rolled over on her child and smothered it and the other one had their child didn't smother their child so the the mother who killed her child traded babies so that she could still have a future in her child and now they're coming before the king arguing and Jeff Collins dear friend of mine he's been here before he'll be here again he was sharing how the Lord spoke to him on the way to a prayer meeting that that is a picture of the church in this hour. It was so troubling to me. It was so troubling to me. I kept asking the Lord, Lord, I knew it was a word from the Lord. And I was saying, God, what do you mean by this? What do you mean by this? And one of the clear takeaways was there is no moral high ground. We are all sleeping prostitutes. We've all been unfaithful. We've all been asleep. And now we stand before the throne crying out to the king for the life of what remains of the emerging generation. And it was going to be rewarded to the, the, the mother who was more concerned about the emerging generation than her own, her own safety, her own security. Because half the emerging generation had already been smothered under the, the, the weight of the sleeping church. And when I shared that, something entered the room and it launched fresh intercession in the house. It wasn't my preaching, it was the purposes of God for this season. And so it's fascinating to me to come now, here we are in the new year and the Lord's gripped my heart with this passage and here we have another picture of the praying church and what is it? The adulteress Bathsheba. There's no moral high ground here. We can't approach the throne based on our own righteousness, our own faithfulness. We come before the throne based on his purposes and we cry out, God, you said these things and you need to take the promises of God in every area of your life, including this election, and bring it before the throne and we're appealing to heaven based upon the prophetic word. There is a partnership between the prophetic and intercession 
intercession. And if we don't have the prophetic, if we're not drawing from the prophetic, we will not know the sign of the times. And we'll just go with the flow. There were people who understood in this scenario, they understood the spoken desire, the intention of their king, David. But they said, you know what? It's inevitable. And for political expediency, I'm going to get behind Adonijah, even though I know what David wanted. God forbid we should be that type of people. Again, this is not about politics this morning. This is about the purposes of God and what God has already said. And there are many applications. There are times where we know what God has said, but we don't contend anymore for our reputation's sake. For appearance's sake. Because I tell you what, the people that resist the, the incoming regime, there's often retaliation towards them. And that's what Nathan was telling Bathsheba. You, you and your son are in danger if this doesn't stop. And so there is this partnership between the prophetic and intercession, and we wield the promises of God before the throne. Let me shift gears. I, I feel like... I had this strange thought this morning. It's been a thought that's been just kind of percolating in my spirit. Let me just read it to you. I wrote some notes down, and uh, I believe it does have something to do with what we're talking about. This is the question I ask myself. Doctor, pharmacist, or drug dealer? What is your role as a man of God? Now you're all wondering, where is he going? Let me just say that again to make you a little more uncomfortable. <laughs> Doctor, pharmacist, or drug dealer, what is your role as a man of God? The man of God is not intended to be reduced to a doctor feel-good, someone who simply dispenses advice based upon the self-diagnosis of those struggling. A drug dealer dispenses drugs on demand. Now, I'm, talk I'm using this Medication as an analogy for biblical advice, okay? So hang with me. You are called to be men and women of God. And you are called to dispense the word of the Lord regardless of the price. And regardless of what people think and how they receive it. A drug dealer dispenses drugs on demand. They give people whatever they want for selfish gain in order to stay in business. This is the equivalent of a false teacher. It's not necessarily that what they teach is false. They just don't care. They are in it for themselves. Pharmacists, on the other hand, do not diagnose. They simply dispense. The pursuit of relevancy in our culture has reduced many preachers to pharmacists. Rather than simply dispensing advice based upon the self-diagnosis of the culture, we must go further and receive the training to diagnose the real issues before us. You are not called to be a pharmacist as someone who handles the word. People come and tell you their problems and then you give them biblical advice. You've got to have a deeper understanding than that. You're not, you can't only just, you need to be both a theologian, understand the word, and a psychologist, understand the human condition. And a doctor 
will examine and diagnose before he prescribes. And sometimes the diagnosis delivers some bad news. And people don't want to hear that. But we have got to be true to this thing and we've got to be willing to give the hard medicine, the hard news, and then give the word of God to cure it. And for too long, the body of Christ, we've been so concerned about how things are going to come off externally to the world that we've held back the word of the Lord. We've been like, Dr. Feelgood, we just want to give you what will make you feel good. Or, a little better, we become pharmacists. You tell us what you want us to preach on and we'll give you what the Bible says about that. But in reality, we've got to go deeper than that. We are called to be watchmen. We look over the landscape of culture and say, these are the problems. Whether you realize it or not, this is what is at the door. This is the danger. And this is the medicine. And that's what we're called to do. God has called every one of us. There is a boldness and an authority coming on the church that's willing to side with heaven. But there are times it will cost you relationships. And God is calling us into that. I believe there is a scary level of authority coming on the body of Christ. But it's not going to be for everyone. It's going to be those who are willing. You look at this passage. Adonijah could not wait for David's demise because all he wanted was power. Bathsheba says to David, after he says Solomon's going to be king, she said, oh, that you would live forever. Well, what you just asked would be irrelevant then. If David lived forever, he'd always be king. But see, she was in it for the purposes of the king. And to those whose hearts are purified and really carry a a burning desire for the purposes of the king. There is a move of God on the horizon that's going to redefine everything. I really believe that. So now's the time for God to deal with our hearts. Now's the time for us to allow the Lord to really do surgery in our hearts, begin to remove all those things that would hinder us from coming into the next season. And we need to be praying this week. That, that's one application. We need to also be praying this week when Congress meets. And let's cry out and bring the promises of God before the throne. And whatever way it falls, I'm going to keep going after God because he sits on the throne. And God is a God of many faceted wisdom. He's the best chess player in the universe. And he can always move things around. Amen? Let's stand. I want us to pray this morning. I know I was all over the the map this morning. Just grab something out of that and apply it. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you not only for your written word, but we do thank you, God, that you are a God who is not silent. Lord, we thank you for the prophetic voices. And Lord, they are more essential now than ever because of the season in which we live. Lord, I ask that you would raise up pure prophetic streams in this region. Lord, help us to honor the prophetic voices and correct them. And Lord, help us to pass the test of correction.
to stay in relationship, weather conflict, so that we can continue to move on in your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.